Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is the Chainbytes 360 podcast. This is a show for everything cryptocurrency, blockchain, technology related. On this episode, we're going to do an awesome interview with Jose Rodriguez. Eric Grill, I believe this is uh, one of your close friends. Yep. Hey, good morning. And my name is Jeremy Snyder, the CEO of BTM Compliance. And I'm coming at you from our Chainbytes 360 podcast. And today we have the pleasure of having a guest with us. His name is Jose Rodriguez. Jose Rodriguez is the director of Blockchain Land, uh, also the CEO of Ajalote ATMs out of Mexico. He is the former CEO of a cryptocurrency exchange, Unison Mexico, which was acquired by Bitso. And since 2013, Jose has become one of the main figures for Bitcoin in Mexico. You can find Jose everywhere, from participating in the various blockchain and cryptocurrency-related events uh, to the Mexican Senate. He's also recognized as a fintech investor, an author of cryptocurrency-related articles, and is an avid blockchain promoter. Jose, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Awesome. Hey, well, I'm just going to go ahead and dive into this. Um, we got a lot of stuff to cover. There's a really uh, awesome amount of topics that you're involved with that I have a lot of questions on, and I'm excited to kind of get into them. But I think what everybody would love to know is kind of, how did you get started in, in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and the blockchain? And like, when was that? And how did you get involved? I got involved full time. Uh, in 2013, that's when I like changed careers and did uh, my first uh, companies and went full in. But before that, I had explored uh, Bitcoin. Uh, I mean, it was really early. Bitcoin started in 2009. Uh, some friends showed me in 2011, 2012, and I was intrigued. But before they showed me, I had a career in financial services and, and financial markets for 15 years, so I worked in stockbrokers in Mexico and the U.S. And there I managed uh, many of the biggest uh, hedge funds, investment funds, and pension funds in Latin America. And some of the things that I specialized was uh, moving securities and money uh, internationally. Uh, what do I mean by that? Uh, normally, uh, big uh, pension funds or retirement funds in, 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 in Mexico and Latin America buy uh, big pa packages of ETFs, which are stocks that represent an index in the stock market. And what they do is that they, for example, go and buy a billion dollars out of a, a current stock that isn't... Uh, locally available so they do go to the united states they buy it and they take it to a local market and that's a process that it's it's more common that in in cryptocurrencies is called arbitrage but this is called securities arbitrage it's a little more complex because you need to move uh securities internationally through different systems and through different um, specialized um financial um, systems that, for example, you handle things called vaults, that is, for example, DTC in Mexico, you have Indeval, in South America, you have Cavalli, and each country has this different thing. So that was movements that I saw and that I executed and that I coordinated uh, for years uh, for billions of dollars every day, and you had to be uh, quick, you had uh, a very uh, tight schedule. Uh, 
operations closed and different countries and different systems closed at different times, etc. So it was really hard and it was really uh, like pinpoint moving all these billions of dollars around the world. And I thought that that's when I started seeing like how all the international uh, markets work and all the systems. And I thought there must be other ways. And I started exploring how things were done internationally. And I, there, there wasn't many options. Uh, right. But I, but I, but I had explored many of them, and there were some that uh, internationally, for example, Euroclear, DTC, uh, Clearstream, which are the the settlements and 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 these uh, securities vaults in Europe and the United States have had been exploring. But well, everything's done very traditionally, mostly like it's uh, had us operate for the last thirty, fifty, a hundred years in most uh, countries, and then is when uh, a friend of mine in first 2011 told me about this thing called Bitcoin. And he told me, like, it's this uh, internet money that you can move uh, internationally and you don't need the institutions. Okay, and I told him, like, show me. But at the time, there wasn't any of the companies that we now know. Actually, there wasn't any exchanges. Like, if you wanted to exchange uh, Bitcoin, you needed to go into forums. You needed, for example... One of the earliest exchanges that I saw was in Second Life, the, the virtual game, the, the MMMORPG. Wow. So you, you could exchange Linden dollars for Bitcoin. That was one of the first exchanges that I saw. Also in, in forums like uh, Bitcoin Talk, you, you saw people in your local countries that wanted to exchange and maybe you met with them or you trusted. And if you didn't get scammed, you, you didn't exchange. <laughs> and, and then in 2012... Uh, this this friend told me like okay let's uh, no it, uh, it, then it, it was in 2012 that uh, I started investigating more I didn't invest at the time but I started investigating more and I got really intrigued of things that were starting to happen at the time there weren't any big investors there were only like angel investors and risky investors inside the this this space, but you you started to see it uh, work as money in different parts of the world. Although it was very clumsy, especially to to exchange. Then in 2012, uh, 2013, many of the big uh, first big companies that exploded came, like Silk Road. Uh, also, uh, you had other uh, exchanges like Mangox, that was the first big. Uh, collapse that the Bitcoin had and you had all these first companies but there weren't like reputable companies and there were like all experimenting startups and well most of them crashed and then uh, by 2012 I was getting convinced that this technology could change financial services and, and uh, financial systems in the world so 2013 I went full time I started doing events investments doing startups traveling and just got in. I, I still was working in, in stockbrokers, but I had a foot out and I was getting convinced that this was the future. And then I started seeing my exit and went full time since then. That's amazing. And so you were able to, to really, you know, start your own exchange as a CEO that obviously was acquired by Bitso. Um, when, when do you think that you made your very first purchase of, of Bitcoin? My... First official purchases to, uh, let's say, using uh, platforms, etc., was 2013. My first like experiments and when I started seeing it, how it worked and wh what a wallet was, etc., was two, uh, 2012. 
And in 2013, I was very active. In, there were some mar markets like local bitcoins that already existed. Local bitcoins is a place where you can post offers to buy and sell locally in every, any country, even by transfer or by cash, and they give right. you an escrow service. So that was one of the first uh, options that you had uh, to exchange. So that is where I started meeting the first people. Uh, also, there wasn't like a group, a co community, meetups, anything. So we also started a Facebook group uh, called Bitcoin Mexico. And we started also, I, I started also writing to people that, that I started to do uh, freaking exchanges. Because I said, if, if they're doing freaking exchanges, they're, they're into this uh, more than a, a, a casual or, or uh, user. And, and there's where I started to know the first users in Mexico. Uh, there were some users that were in Mexico before me, but they were like uh, very experimental or very just into the, the technological part or intrigued uh, and well I, I started doing all this community and then I, I said well Mexico needs an exchange there were already some exchange going out there was Coinbase in the States that Coinbase started I think in 2012 or 2013 there was already Beat, Phoenix, Beatstamp that one some of the big exchanges that we know were starting back then and and then I saw an, an opportunity for Mexico but then I saw that no one in Mexico was creating this business so I started exploring in other countries, and that's where I went and saw that Argentina was one of the top countries. It has been for the last 10 years. And they have a lot of startups, developers, interests, and also, well, their, their local economy has not been doing well for the last 20 years. So it also a, a very big incentive to, to uh, run away from their currency, which has had a... a an awful devaluation for the last 20 or more years. Uh, so I went to Argentina. I started contacting Argentinian community. Uh, I started through social networks. I started Facebook and Twitter contacting them and telling them, I'm interested in knowing what you guys are doing. Meeting really startups. growing the community. Yeah, and I went over there for a couple of weeks. I did an agenda there, and I also told them, like, hey, I, I mean... I'm not a huge investor, but I'm interested in investing and bringing a company and running a company here in Mexico, and I'm willing to, to partner with, with whomever wants to do it. And I, had, uh, I met lots of, of, of the startups that were uh, at the time running over there. In Argentina, they had already like 15 startups. They had already incubated some startups with, for example, Draper Labs. They were one of the first generations. I mean, th th those were like the early and also for example uh, Barry Silver, DCG, they, they were like the one of the first investments that they did were, were in Argentina for example in Latin America. So I went and met with, with, with all those guys in the community and, and did very good friendship with them and then I met uh, Unicent which was an Argentinian uh, exchange at the time and they had already been running for about uh, six months so they were one of the first exchanges in Latin America and in, and in the world too. And then they told me that they were uh, very interesting in, in partnering with me. And so the deal that we did is we opened uh, Unicent in, in Mexico and I started being the, the CEO over there. So then we had operations in Mexico and Argentina. Uh, that was at the beginning of uh, 2014 when we opened uh, the exchange. Okay. And when did Bitso acquire uh, Unicent Mexico? Mm. So at the time, before I, I was in Unicent, uh, Pablo, which is one of the co-founders, and at the time was a CEO of Bitso, 
he had contacted me because he had already seen that I was doing community startups, that I was, uh, uh, well, that I was moving around and that I was one of the few guys doing something with Bitcoin in Mexico. So before he got Bitsell, he actually uh, met me through a friend in common and invited me over to dinner and to talk and see what was my interest, what I was doing. And he told me that he was going to start uh, do a startup here in Mexico. And uh, that's cool. So then they opened in April uh, 2014, and I opened in about July, like three months apart, we opened our, our exchanges. And we were, there were other exchanges, but we were like the main competitors at the time. Like we were always like running for new users, uh, activity. <laughs> and at the time, really, the, the volume was very small. I mean, we, we operated like between five to 10 Bitcoins, and the price of Bitcoin was between $100 to, to $300. And the so, community was still relatively new, but still very small. Yeah, still something we were doing like a thousand to five thousand dollars a day, which is nothing for an exchange. But right. well, we we were the first one actually doing this, and users started growing. I mean, it, not as big as now, but you had a hundred users, then you had a thousand users, then you had ten thousand users, and going from zero to that. And then, uh, so we started competing for partners, for investors, for users, etc. And we were like always professionally clashing and then I started also uh, 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 meeting with the regulators I, I, when I saw that this was uh, had the potential to actually be a financial system more than only a, a currency I started uh, writing to all the regulators that I had met through my career in, in, in stockbroker and banking and I started meeting with them and I for example had the first meeting with the Mexican Central Bank at the beginning of 2014 at the time, for example, Pablo was my, my competitor and he was, he was asking me to invite him to the meeting. And I was like, no, I'm not going to invite you because you're my competitor. Now, and I really told him, like, no, you know what? I, I, I want everyone involved to come. So I invited everyone that I knew had some involvement. So besides being my competitor, I, I invited him over to, to the meeting. And that's also uh, uh, something that I saw in the, in the, um, in, in, in the stockbroker uh, industry. And in, in the financial industry, like you can be huge competitors for competing for billions or trillions of dollars, but you still have an association. You still go as, a, as an industry. You still go together when you need to go to the regulator, when you need to go to, to, to important things. So, so I thought like, yeah, like we, we can instead of, of each one like just hiding what we're doing, we can work as an, as an industry and work together. And that's how we came together. So we, we became friends besides being competitors. I mean, we, we were we were friends and we were doing like stuff together. And one year later, uh, he, uh, ben, ben and Pablo, Ben is the CTO and the other of the co-founders uh, talked with me and said like, look, man, we're, we're, we're competing for the same customers, the same investors, the same uh, uh, the, the same uh, everything. So how about if we go together and we did a negotiation and then it was a good timing because uh, Unisend Mexico closed and I joined uh, uh, Bitso and Unisend Argentina was acquired by another uh, big player over there called uh, Ripia. So it was also a good timing and that's how I became uh, BP at Bitso and was there for about uh, five years afterwards. Awesome. Yeah. So a lot of collaboration, a lot of growth, and it sounds like you're probably one of the, the OGs of, of Mexico <laughs> in, in cryptocurrency. Yeah. I mean, I, 
I'm, I'm, I'm probably not the first one. I, I've met people that are uh, before me, but I, I must say that, well, I, I've been one of the persons that have done the most uh, community events, educations, for example. Uh, some of the biggest events that have happened in Mexico were organized uh, or co-organized by me. For example, the Latin American Bitcoin Conference, we did it in 2015. We did that at my my university. I, I helped get all, uh, all it all in place. Uh, I mean, and, and also other, other uh, big events because, yeah, you, you, if you don't make the first education and also people to get to know them and first it's a mystery and it's fear like what is this right. magic thing and i'm gonna be scammed or it's a pyramid scheme or my money's gonna disappear if i erase this etc no so first is, is this fear that look we're people like you and we're handling this and if you can handle your instagram and your facebook you, pr you probably won't have any problem handling uh, this stuff and the other was uh, the educational and, and also the, the, the media and the regulation part because at the time, I mean, Bitcoin mostly has had a very bad reputation always with, with regulators because they try to always, like politicians, no? like send you mud on top so it's saying that, that you're dirty. <laughs> uh, so at the time, uh, Bitcoin, for example, all day, Every day, regulators, central bankers, uh, securities and exchange commissions from all the country were saying that the only use case for Bitcoin was uh, Silk Road, uh, so illegal markets, drugs, human trafficking, uh, kidnapping, and all the worst crimes that you thought in the world were all thanks right. and enabled to Bitcoin. So at the time, that's the only thing that they spoke, and also Mt. Gox, like, you had this exchange with 70% of the world volume and it became a Ponzi and now they stole everyone's money. So if you get into Bitcoin, you're getting into that. Dark markets and Ponzi schemes. So you better watch out and you get it. So also was changing that narrative. Uh, okay, this can happen, but this is this small. Look what you can do in Mexico. You can do remittances, international payments. You, you, it's one of the countries with more uh, chargebacks in the world, frauds. Like You can avoid all this stuff that is going on uh, with this technology. And uh, only focusing on that little part that happened to a couple of, of Starbucks, uh, startups, you're looking into a whole industry that at the time was growing, but it wasn't so big too. And I mean, at, at that time, Bitcoin was like a hundred million dollars, the market cap, nothing. It was like a thousand times smaller than today. Yeah, definitely the barrier to entry for most people is is just having the understanding of what is the cryptocurrencies, you know, how do they work? What what are they being used for today? How can they be used for in the future and and you know, the constant innovation that is happening with these technologies. And so obviously as as you know, education is is paramount to that and getting people educated to to have the understanding of how these things can be applied in order to, you know, benefit everybody in their life and i mean all those same things all these bad crimes and you know uh you know whether it's ransomware or you know it's different types of um you know sex trafficking weapons trafficking all those things also happen with regular traditional fiat money so i mean it's it's not exclusive to uh, to just cryptocurrency like you said but yeah that's that's amazing 
So let's kind of get into some of the current things that you're working on. Um, we see you at the Mexican Senate, and it looks like uh, there's going to be a really cool project that's starting, um, doing voting on the blockchain with the Mexican Senate. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. So um, although I, as I said, like I started uh, knocking on the doors of regulators because of I knew that Eventually, regulation had to happen, and it happened in Mexico. In 2018, uh, Mexico was one of the first countries to have a fintech law, so they started regulating uh, and giving licenses to, to fintech uh, companies. But there were also a lot of uh, resistance, and I would say low blows from some regulators and from the central banks that tried to, as in every country, they tried to close down uh, for example, at that time, Bitso, where I worked, was the biggest exchange. It still is the biggest exchange in Mexico, and they tried to close it down various times. So um, something that we started doing was seeing that there were some uh, unfair regulation and treatment legally and um, for Bitcoin and, and the blockchain industry, and they were trying to, to block us down as an industry. And there is where we started seeing that it was more complex than just uh, convincing regulators, but they had a lot of uh, powerful uh, tools and weapons to shut us down, and they tried to do it very aggressively. So at that time, there was once a time that they tried to very aggressively shut us down, and there was when I went to the Senate with, at that time, the head of regulation of, of BITSO, and we started knocking on doors of senators and saying how this um, very unfair law was targeting us and not anyone else and that not any other industry had so unfair uh, treatment and, and, and requirements. Uh, how was that received? Uh, and when we explained that to the senator, they said it was unfair and discriminatory and that shouldn't happen. And that, uh, why is that happening when you had an industry that uh, was in growth and generating uh, employment, investment, and income? It made no sense. But, well, the central bank didn't want it to happen. So uh, at the time, it was hard because it was December and it was almost Christmas. So there were very few senators like working in their office. Right. But that's when we found uh, Senator Indira. And she was with her team and she sat with us for like three hours and explain me everything, and, and why is this unfair, and why is this happening, and how does it happen in other industries, and what can we do, and why is this important, who, would, who will this uh, benefit, or who will this uh, make good or bad, etc. And she sat with us and, and really got interested in that, and, and she, kicked, she actually, after, after that, kicked that back. So that was very good for the whole industry, because they were asking... Um, all Mexicans to make uh, uh, an electronic uh, signature each time that you did a transaction, cancel a transaction, did a trade, logged in, logged out. They don't ask that for any other industry. And right. they, they're asking for your taxing ID and your taxing uh, to, to uh, electronic uh, signature for every transaction. I mean, that that's something that doesn't happen normally. So she kicked that back, and then we started having a... Uh, I mean, uh, another type of relationships uh, for her to know how this uh, industry was evolving, and she started getting involved. And 
last year when I went with Eric uh, of, of Chainbytes to to El Salvador and live the experience, and she told me that she wanted to really see what was going on and, and get uh, more involved, I told you should come to me with El Salvador, and we went to El Salvador. She was there for, for a week with her team, and she saw firsthand how Bitcoin was really working, not what media tells you or what... Right. Uh, because they... They they have an opinion and they write articles, but they have never gone there. So that's really worthless. It's only an opinion. It's what they think could happen. It's not them actually going. So she went. She was there. She saw how it was happening. We had very interesting conversations with congressmen and congresswomen from El Salvador, uh, secretaries of state, central bank, uh, businessmen, uh, associations of business. And, and we had like a 360 view. And then she told me that she wanted to work on creating uh, a, a better regulation for all of this. So that is when I started collaborating with her and her team. And we started uh, drafting some plans of things to do, and one of them was uh, bringing the, the ATM. We had already talked about it last year when we were in, in El Salvador and the options. And it became a reality in, in April this year. Uh, with Eric, we, we placed the first Bitcoin ATM in the Mexican Senate, and it was very cool because it was also at the day another uh, a Bitcoin event was happening at the same time that we launched the, the ATM. I was also a speaker there, so other senators besides Indira and from other parties. Uh, in, in Mexico, there are lots of political parties, not like in the right. States, that there are only two. But so other pe people from other political parties that normally ideologically or or because of their parties are oppositions and they clash because of this uh, Bitcoin ATM and because of this different um, thematic they were all together. No, so it was also funny seeing them for all the parties that are interested in this. So that that's that's where we. Uh, started with the Bitcoin ATM and also uh, drafting the, the, the regulations in, in, in Mexico to change them. And now, actually, the senator has already sent out uh, eight different uh, law reforms and new laws uh, to pro-Bitcoin laws, pro-financial education, pro-technology, uh, etc., to, to do this. And the next step, as you mentioned, is uh, the Bitcoin ATM has a couple of screens, and it's an interactive screen that besides having the interfaces to buy and sell Bitcoin, uh, they can be programmed for other activities. One of them will be uh, to make uh, voting in the Senate. How is this going to work? Well, every time there's a proposal, there's an initiative that must be voted either to approve or to decline it. And each senator has, has a vote, and after the vote, there, there's a count. So what uh, we're going to do is uh, a, a vote intention through the ATM, where every senator, before they go to vote or after they have voted, they'll be able to tap the screen, say which, for example, which party they represent, and if they vote in favor, if they vote uh, to decline, or if they vote to... I don't remember, not vote to 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 decline abstain vote. abstain so mm -hmm. so they can so the the objective is there's various objectives one of them is to see that this this technology not only works for uh, gambling and for trading and for other things are like a public registry for them to have it there and the other is for them to see how you can also have this uh, instant results 
with this uh, technology and also for them to, to lose the fear of going into the ATM and pushing and you don't need to pay anything. It's just uh, putting your, your, your voting intention uh, for them to see how this actually works. Awesome. What was the legwork that you had to do to really educate the senators on the technology so that way they could see the technology for what it really is, the ledger capabilities and being able to vote and have that clear transparency of the data? Well, it's an ongoing job. Like I would say that most of the senators have no idea how this technology works. Uh, out of Mexico, there is 128 senators. I would say like up till now, five of them are familiar with Bitcoin, which is not even 10%. So what uh, Indira has also been doing is uh, some events and also other senators to do some, some events. And also doing these meetings inside their political parties to first, it was an initiative by Indira. Now she's trying to do it as initiative as her political party and then right. bring, uh, and, and, and bring over from other political parties. The most important one is, uh, right now the, the, the ruling party of the president. They have majority, so it's the most important one to have for these initiatives to, to pass. Uh, there's, um, there's some that are very, um, Optimist. There's one for for Bitcoin to be legal tender. I mean, it, it, it will be discussed, but I, I don't expect that to be approved. Of, of course, it would be great, but I, I don't expect that to be approved. But there's others that ha have a lot of chance to be approved. Like, for example, uh, making uh, including uh, financial education and the use of virtual assets in uh, public and, and private uh, education programs. Awesome. So there's still some groundwork that needs to be done just with the lawmakers and, and with the senators. But what does this mean, essentially, for the Mexicans of, of Mexico? Like, how, how do you feel that this is going to be able to substantially impact and benefit all of the citizens? Well, first of all, in Mexico, as well as in most in Latin America, most people are unbanked. Most people will never have access to financial services because the only options that most people have for financial services are banks, and banks do not service the whole country. There is a lot of banks, and banking has been growing a lot in the last uh, 20 years, but 50% of the population is unbanked. So to, for starters, you have a population of over 50 million people that have never had or will never have access to financial services, paying online, doing a transfer, or, 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 or anything. So first of all is giving access to all that uh, population. There have been some uh, government, uh, some public and some private uh, initiatives and funding and projects to do this. But I would say that overall, unfortunately, I would consider it uh, um, not a success uh, because for example, uh, there have been some projects for QR payments, for online payments, interbank payments, and the last payment that the Mexican Central Bank did has been running for about five years, and they only have a million users. That's not even 1% wow. of the population. That's yeah. nothing. I would consider that a, a failure. You go and you see Bitcoin, and you have 5 million users. With all the resistance, with all the harassment, with all the regulators, you have more users doing that than stockbrokers more users uh, doing that than the, 
than the government central bank payment system. So there's a big opportunity. The other is uh, not only using Bitcoin. I mean, I love Bitcoin, but it's it's. I would say if you use it as money, it's also a little risky for normal people because of the volatility. But using it as a tool for financial services. And why do I mean for that? Using it as a rail of the back office of your services. For example, remittances, international payments, online payments. Like remittances, Me Mexico, U.S. is is the biggest corridor that exists right. for remittances. It's it's a it's the biggest income bigger than oil for for Mexican uh, in dollars. So there you have a a huge market. Then you have international uh, trade. You may, of course, with the United States is one of the biggest. Uh, it's a biggest trade partner, but you also have Mexico has one of the most uh, international trade uh, treaties in the world. So they have a lot of, of business partners all over all over the world and the other is actual uh, financial access uh, and and personal and professional uh, development if you never have a bank account if you never have access to credit if you can never buy something online you, i mean you will and, and you live in a small town you probably will continue living in the same way for the 100 200 300 years and you will have many of the advantages that are going on now. So this is yeah. a way, a, a way to expand that and and also to help with the people's development. And it's something that we have seen in some, uh, for example, uh, neighborhoods in El Salvador. That's amazing. So there is a generational impact of cryptocurrencies that is going to be able to help generation after generation where people have traditionally been stuck. Um, you know, not being able to have a bank or being completely unbanked and having to maintain, you know, their own their own funds and currency and have that as a risk. Yeah, and and I mean, uh, also another thing that has happened in Mexico and in Latin America is okay. Besides all the things that most people that are into Bitcoin know about central banks that they can issue unlimited money, inflation, taxes, etc that there's a lot of ways to uh, make them have more value of your money and for your money to be worth less. So that is one of the problems. But also you have in Latin America another problem, that they, you, all the local currencies and the corruption makes the local currency be worth less against the dollar. So you always see all Latin American currencies being devaluated against the dollar. So then you have a double problem. You have the inflation and the devaluation of the states, and you have the devaluation and the inflation locally. So then it gets uh, wild. Like in Mexico, I mean, the last big devaluation was in '94, but it was 300 percent. Like, what wow. did you do when, 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 when in a week you, you change your, your imports 300 percent? You go to Argentina, and when I just started in Argentina, the exchange was seven pesos per dollar. That was in 2013. Right now, it's 200. That's insane. And that happens Absolutely all crazy. over Latin America. Like, how can you trust your bank and how can you trust your currency long term? You can't. Yeah. You zero use gold, you use that. silver, you use dollars, you use real estate, you use other stuff. So it's also another option for, for the people. For example, also especially in people in, like in Venezuela and Argentina. Because also their countries do these laws where it's illegal for you to exchange your currency. So you're trapped. And if you want to exchange a currency, they define what's exchange rate and how much you can change. That's ridiculous. 
That is absolutely insane. <laughs> well, that that would be one huge benefit for everybody to to have something that really changes the, you know, the game for everybody as far as financially being able to have a little bit more stability. Obviously, there's the volatility, you know, in cryptocurrency, but I don't think you're going to find that swing to be that large. No, and, and also, I mean, you can see all the criticism for the last 10 years in Mexico, Argentina, Venezuela, etc. Like, no, look at the volatility, etc. Okay, like, look at the middle and long-term performance of the local currency and, and Bitcoin against your local currency. Which one was a better option? You're going to have a, a short-term, yes, volatility. But if you put it, I, I wouldn't tell anyone put this, like make this a whole portfolio, but have it as part of your portfolio. It has outperformed all, all stock indices and all Latin American currencies. Right. So it, it's worthwhile having a bit of that in your portfolio and your long-term savings. Okay. Let's talk about Bitcoin Santiago and, and what that's all about. Yeah, so, uh, well, so last year we had our first experiment with Eric trying to open an operator in, in El Salvador. We did an experiment over there. We, we also uh, did some, uh, like, three prototypes in a factory. But at the end, uh, it was a little bit hard because all the parts needed to be imported and El Salvador wasn't a huge uh, market for uh, electronic components and technology components. So it was a little bit... Hard. So that was our first adventure, like creating a company and ventures in, in Latin America with Eric and myself. I mean, we had uh, done stuff and cooperated, but not an actual uh, company or, or a venture. This was the first one. Uh, after that, I convinced Eric that, well, maybe things didn't go like we planned in El Salvador, but Mexico was a great opportunity. Uh, there's only like 20 ATMs in Mexico. I mean, you, you compare it to other countries, even in Latin America, and there are very few. You have other countries with 150, uh, at least, smaller countries. Well, with the and large well, population of unbanked, there's just not a large user yeah. base for them. And so, then you yeah. see numbers in the United States and Europe, and it's wild. You have over 1,000. And, and I mean, in, in, in the United States, it's wild that they have around 20,000 ATMs. But when I, I told uh, there was this huge opportunity... It's mostly a cash uh, economy, all the unbanked. Uh, people want something physically, and many of them don't trust even their online banking. So the opportunity is there, and I started uh, telling uh, Eric we should do something here, and there's how we opened the operator, which is Acolote Bitcoin. We opened an operator here in Mexico, and we started uh, looking into... Parts that would be good, uh, of course, for business, but also interesting uh, places where we could have a, a bigger impact. So we have uh, some interesting partners. Uh, I mean, uh, commercially and business-wise, the first one that we'll be announcing uh, soon and that we're negotiating, they have uh, many of the biggest malls in Mexico. They have over 20 malls in Mexico, so we're going to start with them. But the non-commercial part... Like the Senate, in which we see we can have an impact. One of them is a municipality in Nuevo León. Nuevo León is in the upper northern uh, border of Mexico to Texas. And that's where uh, Senator Indira is from. 
And so when we went to Nuevo León, we went around and we saw many places, some of them which we had already spoken, some of them which were new to explore putting the ATMs, and which one was Santiago. Santiago is a town like about an hour away from uh, one of the most important cities in Nuevo León, which is called Monterrey, and it's one of the uh, main tourist spots uh, in, 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 in the state. They tell us that they have around 10,000 um, tourists from all over every weekend. And they have it just in this small plaza. So there's a lot of people in, in, in very little time every weekend. So there, uh, the Senator Indira introduced us to the uh, municipal president. And we started uh, talking with him. And he said that he was all into business and technology and modernization. That he had already done, uh, for example, placing, he said, like, no one here uh, had... Uh, uh, online payments, card payments, and worst of all, where, where, when every uh, U.S. or foreign visitor comes, where do they look? They look at TripAdvisor, they look at Airbnb, they look at all these international websites and applications, and we weren't there. So he also <laughs> did like this huge campaign, having all onboarded, and he onboarded everyone in his town. So he had he has already done this type of efforts to make uh, tourism. Uh, grow and commerce grow and the economy grow and, and he has had all these different campaigns he cleaned up also the municipality he won some uh, international and national awards so he has been really working into attracting and making it better for the tourism and he said like if I already have all these options and this is already international money and there are people locally and foreigners that will be interested like I'm interested in having one here and right. I'll help you guys out also. We can build, for example, a kiosk for it. We can have it here, etc. And for people to not only start experimenting and buying Bitcoin, but in the future experimenting other things like uh, like uh, paying for services. But it also allows at the same time where you have these tourists and the tourism, you know, comes in where they're, you know, essentially from countries where they're used to using some cryptocurrency, using Bitcoin ATMs, um, but being able to also help in the process further the future education of the citizens of Mexico as to how they can also utilize that. Yeah, something, I mean... Mm, Besides putting the curiosity and doing like the PR and marketing, like, yeah, you have a Bitcoin ATM or you accept uh, Bitcoin payments, you also need to have uh, a community and users that actually use it. Because if not, right. after the announcement, it's, I mean, it's going to die off and they're not going to be used. So that's some of the activities we have also spoken with the municipal president that we want to do. We want to have meetings with the Association of Hotels, the Association of Restaurants, the Association of Commerce, and give them incentives to also do this uh, and accept payments. And uh, then they say, okay, I already accepted your weird money. Now how do I cash out? Okay, just take 10 steps and go to the ATMs and push this, and you're going to have <laughs> your money in your hand. And so also it's also doing those uh, communities, events, meetups, and incentivizing the people to use it for it to create this uh, local economy for this. And not only waiting for a foreigner or from someone to be curious, oh, oh he has Bitcoin payments, for actually activating this locally 
and for them having like, okay, you, you, you won't be charged 5, 7, 8, 10% that you're charged, for example, with their card. Uh, you won't you won't have your money like if you if you want to save your money you can do it and you don't need to have it always on your pocket and having it. There has to be an incentive immediately and yeah. and at least spark some curiosity to want to get some education on the matter so that way they can decide for their, for themselves. Yeah, and that's also the same strategy that we're doing also for the commercial spots. It's not only like. Yeah, you can pay and almost be anywhere, but it's that's not the objective. The objective is creating uh, this uh, working and, and strategy and promoting groups for this to be a success. So, for example, with everyone that we are creating deals, there are also people that are at least into this stuff. Probably they're not experts, but they're into it and they see the potential and they understand the potential for this. And they also want to work together with us, creating these strategies for, because if, for, for example, in the malls, if we, if the, if the Bitcoin ATM is a, it's a success inside the mall, it will also mean that they're going to have more visitors and different kind of visitors for their malls over time. So it was a great investment for them and, and they will be happy and we will be happy. So we, with all the ones that we're doing, the deals is creating this strategy. So we're going to have meetups, we're going to have educational events, we're going to have activations. You're going to also do uh, PR marketing and activations on your side. And that's how we're going to try to, to create all this uh, growing economy. Awesome. So I know when I talk with a lot of different business owners, one of the first things that starts to kind of come up around this is is regulations. And so you've kind of alluded to it and you have a very unique perspective where you've been able to see regulations from an exchange point of view, but now you also have the pure peer to peer transactions or that, that two party transaction, you know, happening at a Bitcoin ATM. What are the regulations like in Mexico for you yeah. as an operator? So there isn't like a Bitcoin law or a cryptocurrencies or a blockchain law. At the beginning of the fintech regulation that uh, started in Mexico in 2018 to regulate all the fintech industry, it was contemplated, but afterwards it was taken out. Uh, so actually, uh, Bitso is one of, was, was the first company to have a license, but they didn't give him a license as a cryptocurrency exchange or as a Bitcoin exchange or as a Bitcoin custodian or as a wallet. They gave, him as a, they gave them as an uh, electronic payment uh, wallet. That was the license that you had. So you're only regulating this little part. So what they needed to do was create another company and to migrate the company to Gibraltar, where you did have a regulator. Because if you don't have a regulation, you can, as a startup, you can be running for some months, some, some years. But afterwards, it's a risk for you, it's a risk for your investors, it's a risk for your employees. Like, they can shut you down any day. So they started doing a strategy to be conscious that they were regulators. So it's funny, like in Mexico, when you deposit your Mexican pesos, it gets digitalized and it's digital pesos. That's the only part that it's regulated and that's the company that exists here. Then it goes outside and it goes to another country. That country where you have all of this regulated. So this is only your on-ramp and off-ramp and this is the other part. So there is still a lack of regulation and regulatory clarity and uh, uh, guidelines to, to create this. So it doesn't exist. It must be included. 
I mean, it must be uh, updated, but it has been already very hard for the government for fintech. So they have uh, more headaches with Bitcoin and blockchain and they cannot understand. So that that is uh, on one part. The other part is uh, how the business actually operates for for us in the ATM because we have be also been exploring if we would need to have a license like them to in order to operate. And we have been exploring that and speaking with uh, different people and regulators and, 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 and lawyers, etc. The Bitcoin ATM works differently. There's no custody of your funds. It's like a self-service. And right. I've, I've also been learning this uh, through practice. And so ATM, you go with your cash, you pass your KYC, you get identified as a user, you get verified. And afterwards, you said that Bitcoin... You, you have a chance, you have that cash, they give you this exchange rate, and then they send you out your bitcoins. So it's, it's an instant self-service where there is no, uh, custody of the funds and where, where, where the country transfers from his money in, in his pocket to his money in his home, for example. So, uh, what we've seen is that these self-serving, uh, vending machines would not need to have, uh, this uh, kind of license, but we are uh, we need to make some uh, reports that regulators ask. So after, first of all, of course, the KYC AML that we do that we need to have all the data of all the people that are operating there, and also need to classify them depending on how much how much money they transact. No, after some right. some threshold, more information needs to be done. Uh, that that I mean. So it's very similar to what we do here in the United States. It's all going to be a risk-based AML program. You're collecting up your KYC information. Large transactions come through. You investigate those to make sure that the source of funds match up, and, and that way you're, you're able to, to stop things like, like money laundering. How about um, fraud and scams? Are those things also pretty rampant uh, yeah. throughout Mexico? Yeah. Uh, so the only thing that you oh, – there's one thing that you need to – Report so every trade above like twenty six hundred dollars, all of them need to be reported always. So that is something that the regulator embedded here in Mexico, and that's how they comply. So all transactions, and then the biggest risk that I've seen in Mexico are actually that are pyramid schemes and scams. More than money laundering, more than organized crime, more than uh, drug uh, money or el chapo, whatever. I mean th those do happen, and there have been some cases of money laundering and, and part of the money uh, being used on Bitcoin, but that's like risky and, and this little case. What the, the most usual uh, crime that I've seen is uh, pyramid schemes and, and Ponzi schemes. So all of these people that tell you, like, if you give me your money, I'll give you twice as much in three months, and you're going to invest in Bitcoin, and we're going to be doing... Uh, trading with this inter in, yeah. uh, artificial intelligence bot that also <laughs> invests and moves around and does a staking and mining and also we've does got we've got awesome awesome AI that lets us know trade signals and we're yeah, make a lot and, of money. And, yeah. and and there's there's uh, weed growing out with with the best THC that we're gonna <laughs> sell in California and they invent you these great stories. But well, all of them are scams. There's there's there's. And there's a lot of people that by ignorance or greed or simply trust get right. into this. So, yeah, that is a big problem. And, but, well, there, there are also ways 
maybe not to prevent this, uh, because there are educational is the only way, but sometimes Absolutely. people, and, and I, have, I have spoken with scammers and people that have been scammed, and when, they, and when you tell them beforehand, they get angry, it's my money, you're not going to tell me what to do with my money, okay, it's, it's your money, you're free to do, but you're going to get uh, a scam. Uh, so there's also a lot of ways, I wouldn't say like preventing education, but afterwards there are lots of ways where you can trap this. Like if you go to the blockchain, you're actually going to see how it's a pyramid scheme, how all these little wallets go to the same wallet and they, they do right. a distribution and then you start exploring that and, and it makes no sense. And you go and see there's no investment, they're not, gonna, they're not sending it to Binance or to BitPhoenix, etc., unless it's sending it. To steal the money, so it's not going round. So well, yeah, that that is a problem. But you also another way is also to identify uh, those wallets and to start uh, blocking them, for example. Yeah, flagging them through through the different uh, blockchain analytic tools, and then stopping those those transactions from going through. Um, yeah, there's so many different things that that can really be you know helpful on the consumer protection side. In addition to education, obviously the education, as you know, is primary to helping people protect themselves, but there's also no real safety net to protect yourself from yourself. <laughs> as you said, emotionally, you know, you get your heartstrings pulled and next thing you know, you're you're doing something that you probably normally wouldn't because you want to help somebody out and, and then you find out, wow, I've just been scammed. But, uh, yeah, we have the same thing here stateside. Um, a lot of different consumer protection laws kind of go in place. They don't necessarily stop, um, you know, the fraud and the scams from, from taking place. And, uh, you know, when we help from a compliance standpoint, you know, talking with the different customers and trying to explain it, we, we get the same thing. Hey, this is my money. I'm going to do what I want to do with this. Yeah. And we're like, okay, as long as you understand your likely being scammed at this moment and all sales are like this are final yeah irreversible on the blockchain yeah and plus in most countries it's illegal to withheld your customers funds so right you can legally get into problem for for that so there's i mean <laughs> there's so much you can do <laughs> oh man so tell me about cafe iguana how does this kind of play in with everything you guys have a machine place there yeah so well, we were over there uh, look, looking at the locations. I told uh, Eric about this Café Juana. It's in, it's in the downtown of, of Monterrey. And it has a very interesting, interesting story. So the, the part that it's in, in downtown, it was like this, uh, where all the clubs and bars uh, and all the nightlight happened like 20 years ago. And it was like this, place that everyone wanted to go in the weekends, uh, the streets were closed, people were in the streets going from bar to bar, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but then uh, organized crime started growing, uh, I mean organized crime is a, is a problem in Mexico uh, because of all the, of all the, uh, you know, the drug cartels, etc. So, so there are some big ones that when they grow a lot, they start having control over some towns. And well, they they starting having control over this town that was uh, a nice place to go out to party, but then you started seeing uh, lots of drugs, lots of uh, 
security, shady security that wasn't security. So them, them having control, extortion, drugs, security, who got in, who got out, and etc. No, so it started growing a lot, and then they started having more problems because they started growing too much the organized crime, and they started uh, asking for more money and more problems. So, Cafe Juana was one of is one of the most popular bars and spots. It's quite big. You can place there three thousand. Yeah, 3,000 people, and they have a, a auditorium for 2,000 people, so it's actually a, a big place and you can, for being a bar. And also, some of the best bands have gone and played there internationally. For example, there's a, this band that I like that you don't see commonly that's called Diablo Swing Orchestra, and the first time that I saw them, it was in that place. It was and, there. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of, of bands that normally rock and metal bands that go and and only play there because they know I that's Googled the, the cafe. I Googled it and I, yeah. and I brought it up and I saw the picture and I was like, wow, this is an interesting place. But I mean, just the fact that as you're walking in, all you see is the building, the facade of it is riddled yeah. with, uh, with bullet holes. <laughs> yeah. So it, things started escalating and between government, the association of bars being fed up and the cartel, they started like having... Uh, this and one day the cartel got pissed off and they went like if it was Al Capone in 1920 and they just went with machine guns and started shooting to everyone in the entrance no way. and some people many people got harmed some people got killed and the owner said like I'm not gonna close my my place I'm gonna fight back and I'm not gonna fix this so everyone can see what happened here and the history of, of what can be the worst case scenario. And after that happened, I mean, they had to do an aggressive uh, intervention here to, to clean this up. Uh, so right now it's a very uh, nice tourist spot that people, it's actually, they cleaned it up. They, they close the streets for people to walk. It's no longer, it, there are a lot of bars and restaurants, but it's not, like it used to be like only clubbing and but it's now a family place it's one of the places uh that people go and take the most photos because they cleaned it up they painted they made it a very nice uh tourist spot but well that place cafe Juana, was one of my favorite bars over there and we met with the owner and he said like okay let's 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 do it and besides in, yeah. having the cafe Juana, i also uh rent some other um uh little shops and i know all the people here i have he has been there for decades so i i, I think that's going to be also another cool spot in which we can do this uh, also little economy so what's the what's the footprint of your operation how many machines do you have right now deployed uh right now i mean we have three uh our plan is to having uh, 15 we need i mean right now we need to have some more but well they're they're on the way <laughs> they take some some uh some some time but the objective is uh, in a month to have at least 15 operational uh atms already uh the first ones the the first batch arrived and uh, other ones are on the way so monterrey nuevo leon will be one of the places and and mexico city where we're going to start operations and where we're going to have most of these uh, first batch of atms so do you have targeted education plans specific for that area in that community? Yes. 
so, as I said, for example, in the in the malls, we are gonna do a series of events. That's that's in one place. Also, uh, in the municipalities, I mean, there's gonna be events, and we also want to have uh, people there full time that can be available to for for to educate and to teach people. And besides that, well, I also run uh, Blockchain Land, which is um, a, an event that we're going to do in, in Monterrey in, in from the 5th to 7th of October. That's uh, massive events that we do for education, uh, personal development, and professional development. And it's so the event is called Talent Land. That's an event that we do every year, uh, and we do a massive event. First, our, our first event before the pandemic was for 62,000 people. Wow. We had the last event in July. There were 25,000 people. Uh, uh, besides the COVID restrictions, we still had a lot of people. And then what we do is we divide it by, let's say, lands, which are, uh, it's, the event is like Disneyland. So you have blockchain land, you have developer land, you have creative land. So what we're doing right now, we're taking blockchain land and we're doing an event by itself. We're doing a 10,000 people event uh, and with that objective, for people to get educated at any age and any level from if you are a teenager, if you're having your first experience in Bitcoin and blockchain, or if you're a developer, there's going to be content uh, for everyone. So that is an ongoing event that I do. We're going to do it this year twice. Next year, there's going to be four events. So that's something I have ongoing for for education and, and for... Um, uh, yeah, for people to get to know what all of this is is about, and well, besides that, I also try to be very active in in events as a speaker and also writing articles and doing uh, all this uh, educational stuff and workshop. And but well, uh, besides that, what we want to do in the in the upper in the operator of the ATMs is having a team for doing that. No, so I see you pretty. I see you pretty well dispersed out there, whether it's uh, out there in crypto Twitter or it's online, seeing your videos, um, you know, specifically the ones from where you're speaking at, like blockchain land at the talent land events. Um, there's there's a lot of stuff that's out there, a lot of content that you've you've curated. So you're, you definitely are a wealth of knowledge. What is your experience as far as uh, Mexico and and specific to mining of cryptocurrencies is there is there a lot of that going on is that still you know something that's getting you know caught on to there or have have you know people of mexico been doing that for a while well i've known people that have been doing mining i i uh, that that was also some of my first businesses in 2013-14 uh it's it's a hard business <laughs> because of of your, I mean, your your income is super volatile and more volatile than most. A lot of competitors now. And yeah, right now also a lot of, of of competition. I know that there are some people that have been running some big serious operators. I mean that not not people running a rig with four or three, but people actually spending some millions of dollars in some data centers to convert them to, to mining uh, facilities. I know of two three people that have. Uh, uh, show me that they're doing that, and most of them are people that already have the like the cheap energy capacity, and also have the infrastructure to do this, or they are renting it out to people that are doing uh, this business. But 
I, I, I don't see it a lot, but I have seen some uh, operations, some big operations. And from time to time, I mean, there's some friends, for example, in stockbrokers that told me like, hey, like I have this customer that has all these huge companies and he also has now this little uh, warehouse that he's mining. <laughs> and he just said that, oh, I'm just going to put a million dollars into this and, and just have fun. <laughs> Well, that might be successful. It yeah. might not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Jose, I really appreciate your time today. Um, if folks want to connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah. So on all social networks, you can find me as Jose Pimpo at J-O-S-E-P-I-M-P-O. Uh, so in Twitter, Instagram, etc. You can find me like that. Also, for example, uh, if you're interested in, in Talentland or Blockchain Land events, we have in the web pages our, our contact forms if you want to contact me. And also, for example, in, in, in the Twitter of Blockchain Land on Talent Republic, there's my data. Or I w uh, We have al always opened the, the messages for anyone that wants to, to contact us. I mean, it could be through email, it could be through social networks or through our, our web pages. Okay. Well, fantastic. I hope uh, some of our listeners who hear this, maybe some of them are moved and maybe they'll even come out and see you in person at yeah, Blockchain Land um, at your next coming event here. It's just a few weeks away. Yeah. I mean, only in my event or any event in Latin America, probably going to be there. So very happy to, to be there. And, and well, also in, in the next weeks when we're going to be starting, if you're in Mexico, when we're going to be starting our events uh, with the ATMs. Wow, so that was a really great conversation that I was able to have with Jose. Eric, obviously, you know, one of your, your closer friends. Um, he did a really good job of, of painting a picture about, you know, his 15 years of experience in financial services, which that in itself is, is quite the feat. And then, you know, having him actually learn about Bitcoin in 2011 and taking a time, you know, to make his first official purchase of Bitcoin in 2013 is 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 really really interesting um did you know that about about jose you'd be surprised you'd be surprised how many people heard about it and dismissed i dismissed it initially as well and didn't buy it right away i was like yeah some some nonsense and didn't really take an honest uh, look at it and then had to take a second look and then the second look and whenever read the white paper your eyes open up and until you use it you really just it's it's hard to explain even today so yeah, a lot of people are the same way. They dismissed it initially, and then later on, when there was hype or some other opportunity presented itself. So yeah, I wasn't aware that he uh, he had heard about it in 2011. Yeah, so a friend obviously helped him get to the point where he was orange pilled, and then it took him a while in order to make that <laughs> that first initial purchase. I also thought it was pretty interesting, uh, you know, his his whole venture as far as beginning or opening up an exchange, Unison Mexico, I had no idea about that. Um, and then obviously the acquisition by Bitso, really significant stuff, you know, for, for the country of Mexico. Yeah, I remember, I remember when he was in Argentina doing that, and that's one of the most difficult places to operate. And he's in, but he was, he had an exchange there. He had an exchange in Mexico, I believe as well, um, that Bitso acquired, I think he acquired both of them, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, yeah, I remember I was in Texas with him actually when the guys from Bitso were there and Barry Silbert and a week later they were 
being acquired. Awesome. And then one of the other things that we kind of talked about, which is also near and dear to my heart, is the education of not just the the people, but also, you know, the lawmakers within the country. So we, we kind of got into a little bit of some of the projects that you and, and he are working on. And one of those things is the voting on the blockchain and the education of the technology to the senators there. Well, it'll get them thinking a little differently, I think. Uh, and that was the approach. They're talking about Bitcoin as money and money laundering and all of these things. And I was like, well, let's just change the topic. Let's, how about if we vote on the blockchain? No, we don't even use it as money. We'll just vote on it and create transparency. Who's going to argue against that? And, and that resonated with them. And they said, yeah, let's, if you build it, we'll do it. And we built it. So we're planning on doing it now. Right. I'm excited about that. <laughs> And I mean, it's a it's a great story, you know, to basically go through the process of of having the understanding of the technology before you even get to the point where someone's going to, you know, propose a question of, okay, can we now make Bitcoin legal tender? You know, these senators need to understand and and have faith in in you know the underlying technologies that support that. So I thought that was a, a really great conversation with Jose there. And then well, it, uh, it was, the- I was there. I mean, it's it's good. It was fun watching the senators use it. And, and just like any other person, their eyes open. I'm like, that's it. That's that's how it works. It was so simple. Yeah, that's that's why this technology is going to survive. And and you should be uh, you should be an advocate for it. And so I think that resonated well. I think we've done a good job in the Senate um, educating them and, and leaving people there and talking to them about it. And I think that's going to have a good impact on them. But whether or not they pass any laws, you know, who knows? Politicians. <laughs> That's my favorite part is is watching people get educated and them having that light bulb moment. And I think that that's, that's just one of those phenomenal things that, that we get to witness. And then, you know, dispelling the, the bad reputation that, uh, that sometimes Bitcoin has that's, that's really FUD that's out there. Um, but then, you know, just talking about some of like where people thought that the only use case of Bitcoin was going to be on the dark market and Ponzi schemes. which Just like the Internet. Would... The Internet was just going to be illegal and pornography, right? That's it. Yeah. And it's so much more. <laughs> so it's Bitcoin, and that and that's definitely something I think is important that people understand. Is this is a lot more than just going to be money and changing money. It's going to change the way you think about money. It's going to change the way you interact with people. And yeah, it's, it's uh, we'll get there. He also talked a little bit about when you and he went to El Salvador, which was was quite interesting. I know that I heard a little bit from you about your trip, you know, going down there. But you guys had a lot going on. Well, it was an exciting time. I mean, they just legalized Bitcoin. Uh, we started a factory there. I'm sure he talked about that. Uh, we were looking at everything and anything that we could take and disrupt. And, and you know, there's still opportunity there. We're still doing things there. Uh, it's it's exciting. And then he also went on to kind of talk a little bit about Bitcoin Santiago, which you, you have a role in also. Yeah, well, we're going to roll it out and try to help merchants accept Bitcoin. Uh, there's, it's sort of an experimental area within Mexico that they allow these, these types of things, interaction. And so we're going to do it. And the mayor's firmly behind it. So that'll be another thing we're, we're, we'll be announcing here shortly. Yeah. Yeah. So did, did you and, and he have any challenges that, that you can specifically mm-hmm. remember as far as creating ventures inside Latin America so far? Oh, yeah. I mean, we created a company in El Salvador that took about a month and I can't stack a paper like this. And 
Um, Mexico was a little bit better. <laughs> um, it, it went went through pretty um, pretty easily. Um, it's a little trickier, I guess, but um, yeah, it's tricky. And then of course, doing banking and business and just in general, it, it is a little different. It's a little more. Um, in the United States, you form a company, click, 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 and that's certainly not the way that it is there. Right. To get your tax number, it doesn't work. You know, it takes a process. In El Salvador, the reason it took a month is physically, the guy had to have physical paperwork, the physical signature, no digital signatures, and go to the different departments within the government to get signatures to form the company. That, and, and it's an attorney. That, that to me just seems insane. But um, yeah, those things are being improved, including in El Salvador. They realize that it's an antiquated system, and so they're looking to revamp it. Mexico is not nearly like that, but. Uh, I guess you're a little spoiled when you're in the U.S. and you just go online and you have a company in five, ten minutes. Uh, you know, you can't do that there. Yeah, I definitely can't do that there. But we also have a <laughs> lot more regulations around, you know, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency. And in Mexico, they, they have a, a limited number of regulations so far. Obviously, those. Yeah, they really have much of anything produce. except the tech. They have what they call the tech law. The tech. I forget exactly right. what they call it, but that doesn't apply to everything within technology as, as it sounds. But uh yeah, they'll form their regulatory stuff, I guess. And then lastly, we, we talked about Cafe Iguana and, and the history, which was just mind-blowing, um, you know, to kind of hear about what had happened there at Cafe Iguana and, and how the owner wants to place a Bitcoin ATM, you know, in the establishment. Yeah, one of the things it did there was created a community. So Cafe Iguana is sort of the center of that community, and there's merchants. And so, uh, you know, I think that'll be an exciting time to... Uh, to see what happens there okay well i guess there's a there's a lot of listeners out there we want to thank you all for for listening uh, any of our notes that we have we'll go ahead and make sure that they're posted with this episode and then we have a a teaser for our next episode which is with amboss uh, awesome uh lightning node uh, marketplace and we'll be doing an interview you know with the individuals from amboss so check out our show. Uh, make sure you're hitting subscribe. 